Our scripture today is Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 9, and it is on page 8 of the Pew Bible. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he went on towards the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. The word of the Lord. Good morning. How's everybody today? Good. How many of you have ever done something for the very first time and were not afraid to do it? Not afraid? You did it for the first time and you weren't afraid. How hard can it be? Well, it can be pretty hard. Think back to your first day of school. Did you go to school by yourself the first day and just walk in and everything was cool? Ron, probably yes, but I know, <laughs> I know my mom took me to school the first day so that I knew where I was going and I was comfortable knowing that she was there. How about when you started to ride a bike? Did they just say, okay, here's a two-wheeler, jump on it and go. Yeah, Freddie? <laughs> okay, well, most of the time, someone goes alongside with you and helps you stay on the bike, right? And that makes it a whole lot more less fearful, more comfortable to have know somebody's there to help you. How about moving to a new place? That's kind of hard, especially if you're a kid. <coughs> when you, you move into it, you're leaving your friends behind, your school behind. Right now, I'm in the middle of moving my classroom, and I'm really sad about leaving the floor that I'm on because I have a really great relationship with all the teachers on my floor, and now I have to move to another floor. And then they're all going to be all different people. Plus, I have all that stuff to move. That's not fun. Well, I need two volunteers, so I'm going to ask Maya and Ben to come up and help me today. Um, I've brought some blindfolds, and I'm going to blindfold you two, and I'm going to have you go up there and get the Bible that's on that altar. Just throw it around on the floor over there. How do you feel about doing that? Blindfolded. Think you can do it? Hmm? Are you a little bit scared? 
You think you might slip on the steps and you can't see? Can I put this on you? All right. All right. Can you see? Good. All right, just stay right there. Can I put this on you? Okay. No peeking. No peeking. All right, bud. Let's see here. Are you afraid? No, I think you are. Come over here. I think you're a little bit afraid, huh? Can you see? No? All right. Well, I have Abraham and Sarah here. No peeking. You've got to keep your eyes closed. No peeking. No peeking. You've got that. Can you see? No. No. Okay. So now I'm going to have the two of you go up here and get this Bible. Right? But guess what? I'm going to hold your hand. No peeking. All right. Do you feel better knowing that I'm here holding your hand? Yeah. yeah. So we're going to go up the steps. One. Whoa. Another step. Two. And a little bit more. And then there we go. Three. Good job. Hold on there. No peeking. <laughs> this is silly. All right. Well, don't walk into the ring. All right. Now, there's a step in front of you. No peeking. <laughs> You're cheating. Can you get that Bible that's on? Oh, you just stepped on can you pick up the Bible that's on the floor there? Okay. All right. You think you can make it back down to the table without? No peeking. You're cheating. <laughs> All right. Come on. You're okay. Reach out to your side there. You can. There you go. Reach out. There you go. It's falling. That's because you keep moving it. You okay. Yeah, you're doing good. I got gotcha. you. There's no step yet. I'll tell you when it's there. You're cheating. Come on. Doing good. Oh, look at that. We got extra help. All right. We're almost to the step. Just step down. That's it. Good job. Now we got another step coming here. Yep. Step down. Right there. Beautiful. And one more, and we're on the floor. Good job. Whoa. Good job. You can take your blindfold off. That was tricky, huh? If you had to do that all by yourself, would you have been it? I don't know. I don't think I would. Are you going to put it on your... Um, but the thing is, God said to Abraham and Sarah, go. Go to this place. I'm not going to tell you where it is. I'm not going to tell you what you're going to see when you get there. At least you knew kind of where you were and what you were looking for, right? No peeking, that's right. <laughs> but the thing is, I was with you the whole time to help you. And, and Mr. Paul was here to help you, too. So, and that's the beautiful thing about God. He's here to help us all the time. Even when we have to do scary things, and maybe we have to go places where we're not sure where we're going, or what we're supposed to do when we get there, he's right there with us, holding our hand, saying, it's okay, Maya. I got you. I got you. We're going to do great things together. Okay? So the next time you have to go into the unknown, which is something we do every single day, 
when we get up every single day, it's an unknown. We don't know what's going to happen. We might have some guesses. We might have some plans. But it's always unknown. But it's also good to know that God is there holding our hand the whole way. He's promised that. And he is a promise keeper. And he's going to be with us. Just like he was with Abraham and Sarah. And he led them all over the place. Okay, I'm going to give you all this land. Yeah, I don't have any kids. How am I going to do that, right? We're going to find that out next week. All right, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that you never give us more than we can handle as long as we stay connected to you. We know that you are a God of grace and a God of love and a God of mercy. And you never challenge us without giving us the, the tools and the support that we need to do it. So we thank you for walking with us through this journey we call life. Thank you for holding our hands, for giving us comfort and guidance. And we thank you for leading Abraham and Sarah and for the faith that they had in you. Help us to have the faith of Abraham. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Good job. Thank you for your help. And we pray that you will help us to um, get to know you and ourselves better as we go through this story of your servant and friend, Abraham. In Jesus' name, amen. So... As you know, if you were here last week, we talked about how we're now in the season in the church year called Ordinary Times. And Katie was right, by the way, that it's called that because of ordinal numbers. And if you ask me what that means, I have no idea. So (laughs) we're still going to go with this idea that we have celebrated Pentecost. We've celebrated the Holy Spirit coming into God's people, the people of God who follow Jesus and know Jesus. And... Um, And so now, how do we live out God's life in ordinary times, Um, in our ordinary situations? But here's the thing. When we have the Holy Spirit, when we have been invited by God to follow Jesus, um, even the ordinary becomes less ordinary. So we're going to be looking at Abraham and then a little later his especially his grandson, uh, Jacob, and some of their experiences with God. But I need to start with a little bit of a disclaimer. Um, This is a kind of social awareness disclaimer, but I, I want to remind us that although this church has a particular bent, there are, there are individuals in this church who have various, um, who are on a sliding scale, shall we say, of um, how we relate to like social issues and political issues and even some theological issues. And so this is in response to a comment that I had from someone here. This isn't me like talking about something that I talked to someone in the pilgrimage about or something that I read online. Um, it is true that often for Christians in our tradition, which takes the Bible very seriously and tends to be, in some ways, a little bit more conservative. Obviously not hyper-conservative, because I'm right here. Um, But we sometimes get stuck behind older cultural understandings of Scripture that maybe aren't really what Scripture was saying, but 
but it's how it's been interpreted for a while. We get a little bit stuck behind those, and the rest of the culture has moved somewhere totally different, and we're still here, and it's hard to examine if, you know, is this really biblical, or is this something that we just imported from our own culture? But sometimes the broader culture, or we, as we're influenced by the modern culture, get stuck behind newer cultural understandings. So what I'm trying to say here is sometimes we lose our ability to encounter stories about people different from us as still stories that relate to us. Um, there's a phrase you may have heard in the out in the world that says representation matters. And how that plays out usually in like TV shows and movies and stuff is you want to make sure that everybody who's watching this particular thing has somebody in the cast that they can relate to, whether it's their gender, their color, their sexual orientation, or all of these things. And I actually think representation does matter, but I also think that we have lost our ability to read a story about any person and see ourselves in that story. Um, and so, and even the church, even the more traditional church has done this in the sense that, you know, we have women's retreats or women's Bible studies, and we tend to focus on women character of, characters of the Bible, and, um, and men focus on male characters of the Bible, and we don't know how to see each other in the other characters, and I think it's important that we learn how to do that. So, um, everybody in this room is about as diff different from Abraham as they could possibly be. It doesn't matter that he was male because all of the other things about him are super different from us. He lived millennia ago, like millennia before Jesus. He came from a pagan culture where they sacrificed humans and he believed in idols and he lived in a desert in like Iraq, and we don't have, and his understandings of how the world work and worked and cultures and all the things that they thought were culturally important, we probably don't even know. So, but Abraham was a human being invited by God into relationship with God, and in that, we have something super important and core in common. So, this comment was made to me, most of the stories in the Bible are about men, and that's frustrating. And I agree, um, in some ways, but I also think, I also want to challenge all of us to see if we can see ourselves in this story about this man, because we're super different, but we also are humans. And we also have all been invited by God into relationship with God. And the main point of this whole Thing that we're going to talk about right now. There are, there are stories about women in Abraham's story, and they are kind of troubling, and we will hint on them. We probably won't dig into all of the problematic parts of them, because that's not the point of this particular series. We can talk about those things sometime in conversation. They may come up in a sermon at some point. Probably not the main point this time, um, because the point of what we're looking at right now is 
faith, which in the Bible is more about trust than about belief. Trust is something that causes you to do something different. If you trust somebody, you'll, you are freer with them, you will give them access to yourself maybe, your things, your relationships. God has not invited us to a system or a whole bunch of head knowledge, but a relationship. First with him, and then with each other, and relationships require trust. So in the story of Abraham that Paul read this morning, Abraham gets a promise from God. It requires trust, right? If someone promises you something, you have to trust them if you're going to receive it or not. Maybe God is not trustworthy. Here's a really interesting thing about this particular story. We need to back up. I've hinted at this a few, a few times in other sermons in the past, but um, last year we talked about temple and we talked about the Tower of Babel and how people tried to get to heaven on their own and, by building this giant tower, and God confused their languages so they couldn't communicate. And at that point, it, there are scholars that have kind of figured this out, but it seems like this from careful reading of the scripture, God basically divided up, immediately after that story, there's a whole bunch of genealogies, and it's often called the table of nations. And it's sort of like God confused the languages, scattered the people all into all these different pl places of the world. These were their rulers, and implied other spiritual entities were given power over those nations. So God basically divvied up everybody and said, to angels or other spiritual forces, the, pa the powers that Paul writes about sometimes in the New Testament. Um, all right, you guys are in charge of these guys. They've, they've completely broken faith with me. But God hadn't actually given up on human beings. He had a plan. He was going to win back through relationship a people for himself. And he had to start somewhere, and so he starts with Abraham. This is the first written-down description that we have of God directly speaking to any human being since Jonah. I mean Noah, sorry. <laughs> Noah, since the flood. So, God reaches out to Abraham and says, I promise that I am going to give you, I'm going to send you to a land that you don't know, and I'm going to give you descendants. And I am going to multiply those descendants, they are going to become a great nation, and all the people of the world, all those other people that are being ruled by all these other spiritual entities, are going to be blessed through you. This promise is kind of gigantic. <laughs> um, and this promise requires both action and patience. This is the kind of trust or the kind of faith that God is looking for. Sometimes Abraham, in order to help God fulfill this promise, wants to act instead of wait. So at one point, we're not going to really go into this in the, these particular sermons, but there's a famine in the land that God takes him to, and so he 
freaks out. He's like, I gotta preserve my family because apparently I'm gonna have, I'm gonna become a nation. And he goes to Egypt, and he probably shouldn't have done that. And then um, tries to have a son in multiple ways that are not the ways that God intends. He's trying to act on the promise, but the actions that he's doing are not trusting. Right? He's the thing that God wants from all of us is to trust him enough to follow him and enough to not try to make all the things that God promised us happen ourselves. This is the conundrum that every single person who tries to trust the one true relational God has to face up to often. Ideally, as we continue through Abraham's story, we will watch him grow in his faith and we'll find something relatable which will increase our trust in God too. Here's something funny. Abraham is known as the poster child of faith in the Bible. In Genesis 15, which then Paul quotes in Romans 4, which was actually where the responsive reading came from. I'm not sure why that didn't get in there. Um, it says, Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. And then in Romans 4, as we read, Abraham is considered the father of many nations, but the father of all people who trust in God through, ultimately through Jesus. But the crazy thing is that Abraham, Abraham's faith is like, well, really, I kind of loved how Ben kept pulling up his blindfold. I was like, well, that seems like Abraham if I ever <laughs> saw it. He's, he's, He's engaged in the process, he's doing the thing, but he keeps trying to peek, like, can I figure this out? Can I get there myself? That's what Abraham does. So through Abraham's story, we're going to see that it doesn't really take a whole lot of faith to be the poster child of faith, apparently. <laughs> or it certainly doesn't take perfect faith, perfect trust. Abraham and his grandson Jacob, who we'll also look at, lose faith and mess up a lot. A lot. Some of the things they do when they stop trusting God to fulfill God's promises in his own way harm other people significantly. And this should give us pause. And it um, sometimes that fact that, you know, here's Abraham, he's a hero of the faith, and he messed up in these ways, and so we don't have to be too hard on other people who mess up. That is not a good application of that truth. But on the other hand, if we look at, our, at ourselves in the story, if we're looking at their stories as part of our shared humanity, we're humans just like them, and if we can be both humble enough and have enough chutzpah to put ourselves in Abraham's shoes or in Jacob's shoes, we might gain both a greater faith and a greater sense of awe and gratitude at God's mercy, grace, and love. We might see that we have also harmed people when we have not trusted God fully and still been forgiven by God and given a role in his story. So uh, one thing I need to clear up, Abraham's name and his wife Sarah's name get changed later in their story. So when we start off in the passage we read today, it's Abram or Abram and Sarai, and I will probably switch back and forth. I don't have a plan for this, so just know that, <laughs> that I'm 
when I say Abram or Abraham, it's the same person. If I say Sarai or Sarah, it's the same person. I'm as confused as you. Anyway, the Lord has said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. And we already said, you know, Abraham's super different from us. Um, he came from Ur of the Chaldees, which we said is in Iraq, and they did practice human sacrifice there. And at some point, and we're not really sure why this happens, because the Bible doesn't tell us, but in the very last verses of Genesis 11, which is right before today's passage, we see a man named Terah, and he has three sons. They are all from Ur, and they move to a place called Haran. We don't know why they moved. Maybe God called Terah first, and then Terah got comfy in Haran, because it says they were going to go to Canaan, but they don't get there. And while they're in Haran, one of the sons dies, and Abraham, or Abram, and his brother Nahor get married. And then we have some descendants, some list of descendants there. And then we, and then the scripture notes that Abram's wife Sarai cannot have children. And then, at some point while they're building their lives and they're having their families or not having their families, God decides to speak to Abram. This is the first time, remember, calling Abram all of these centuries before Pentecost, Pentecost, by the way, is the day that the curse of Babel is reversed. So, in Babel, God confuses all the languages. And then at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes on the followers of Jesus that enables them to speak the good news in all kinds of languages, all the languages that are represented in Jerusalem that day. And that is considered by everybody that I've ever learned the Bible from to be the reversal of what happens at Babel. But this call to Abram is actually the start of that. What does God ask Abram to do? Right. Leave your family and go. And what does God promise to do in return? <laughs> Make him the father of everybody. So, yes. Go someplace. I'm going to show you. I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to show you. And I will make you a great nation and bless you and make you famous and bless all the people, all the dispersed people under the non-gods through you. What does Abram do? Yes. He gathers up all his stuff and all of his people and he goes. Okay. Did anyone notice how old he is when God calls him? Yeah, like Dave's age, right. <laughs> 75. So can we just like picture this for a second? How many of you, even younger than 75, think you're going to be packing up and moving to a whole other country? You are? Okay, let us know. <laughs> so here's something we might be able to get from this. You are never too old to follow God's call. Never, ever. 
there's no such thing as putting in my time. But our relationship with God can shift and grow so that it becomes less about doing things for God and more about doing things with God. And hopefully we'll see Abraham's relationship with God develop like that, at least a bit. Um, but anyway, yes, so he's 75, he's comfortable, his wife can't have kids, they don't, they're with family. Why, why do you think he followed? Okay. Right. <laughs> okay. These are all really good answers. Okay, so Ron thinks Abraham had the Holy Spirit in his heart already. Maybe, maybe not. Unclear. We don't know. Um, Sandy said, now I'm forgetting already. Oh, right. God said, I will go with you. And so God's not casting him away somewhere like God did in Eden for Adam and Eve. God is saying, sort of saying, hey, let's go here together. And Lorna said, God promised all the stuff that men want. So that is a really actually good point. And here's the question. Did Abram, was Abram more motivated by the idea of blessing or by the idea of God's presence? We don't know. At this point, we don't know. And probably he didn't know. But this is another, this wasn't even in my sermon, but this is really good. Thanks, guys. Um, <laughs> this is the other conundrum that we come up with as we try to follow Jesus, as we try to follow God through Jesus in our daily lives. What are we aiming for? Ideally, relationship with God, which unfolds to relationship with others, and usually unfolds, maybe not, maybe we won't become super rich and wealthy, but it does usually unfold in other blessings as well. But, um, but sometimes also greater hardships. But when God first calls us, we often, there is enough of God that we want, but we often don't know, and maybe don't even think about, whether what we really want is him or the promise. So keep that in mind. This is the first stage of our relationship with God. It is not God responding to our invitation. This is a little bit of a switch, because when we do evangelism, we often ask people, we often say to people, invite Jesus into your heart. And there's a point to that, but the Bible often doesn't quite describe that process that way. Um, I don't actually know where that phrase came from. I did invite Jesus into my heart when I was four, but I, I'm not really sure where that phrase comes from exactly. We do have verses in the New Testament about God living in our hearts through faith, but God is the one who invites. We are responding to God's invitation. And when God invites us, it often sounds and feels crazy and maybe a little irresponsible 
but there's also a promise. So Abram obviously doesn't trust God enough to say, okay, I'm going to go, Sarai, I'm, we're supposed to have a nation, and so I guess you've got to come, but I'm leaving everybody else here. He brings all of his stuff, including servants and or slaves, um, and cattle and camels and babies, and all kinds of things. Um, so he, he brings his baggage with him, but he is still going with God. This is the first step when God invites us to follow him. When Jesus says, come follow me, the process is going to gradually detach us from our idols and our false gods so we can turn more and more to the one God in whose image we were made. It is the first step of humility and trust that are necessary to walking with God, saying yes to God's invitation without being guaranteed the results. So we have a promise, but we don't know yet if God is trustworthy to fulfill that promise and saying yes anyway. God invites each of us as individuals and all of us as a church, just like he invited Abraham as an individual and all of Abraham's as yet non-existent descendants, to follow him into the blessing of being God's friend. Abraham is described as God's friend in the New Testament. Not as his servant, not as his slave, but as his friend. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, he took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Unlike Terah. Maybe God reached out to Terah first, but Terah did not arrive there. It doesn't mean that they had arrived. When we say, when we follow God's invitation, when we say yes to Jesus, it doesn't mean, well, now I'm all good, everything's perfect, and I'm a perfect human being, and I'm never going to sin again, and I have complete and perfect faith, and, and life is going to be great. That is not what it means. That's not what it meant for Abram. But he took the first step, and he got to the location that God wanted him in so that the rest of the relationship could play out. After they get there, Abram scopes out the place, and God confirms, yep, this is the land. This is the land I'm going to give you and your descendants. And he repeats the promise of nations and blessings. And then Abram travels a little bit more, and he finds a place to settle, and then he does something new. This is the first record of this type of interaction in the Bible. He initiates interaction with God. He builds an altar, and nobody else that we know of, maybe this happens, but we don't see any human being, including Adam and Eve, up until this point, reaching out to God. It's always God reaching out to the person and telling them to build a giant boat or whatever, but... Abram builds an altar and calls on the name of the Lord. He is in relationship with God now. Not a complete relationship, not a completely mutual relationship, but 
God has called him, he has followed, and now he feels comfortable enough to reach out to God. Abram had enough trust to follow God when God invited him into the impossible. He has enough trust now and faith to reach out to God himself now that that relationship has been initiated. And he had enough humility to relinquish the extended family and life that he had known for 75-ish years. And I mean, even stepping out and following God just on the basis of, I will make you a great nation. The dude's 75. (laughs) His wife's not young either, and she already can't have kids. So even that is an act of trust There is no logical reason for him to say yes to God's invitation, but he did. But it's just the first step. We'll see some ways that his faith grows and shrinks, and we'll see how his relationship with God progresses, and maybe we'll notice ourselves in this story and notice how our faith and trust in God grows and shrinks and progresses too. Thank you, Phil. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much that you are a gracious God. You love us, and you invite us all into relationship with you. And it's anything but ordinary. We pray that we will follow you, that we will keep saying yes, even when times get hard, and when one of us is struggling in the yes, that the rest of us will come along and encourage and help. In Jesus' name, amen.